A woman helping thousands of people pay off thousands in debt right from their smartphones. A man helping young entrepreneurs make their dreams come true. And a woman studying the retirement readiness of Americans and helping them to retire better. It's all coming up on future episodes of Your Money, Your Wealth. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com so you won't miss a minute with Ted Jenkin, Catherine Collinson, and Jackie Beck. New episodes of Your Money, Your Wealth will download right to your device like magic for you to listen to whenever you want. While you're at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, catch up on anything you might have missed, like our recent interview with cryptocurrency expert Amanda B. Johnson. And if you don't have time to listen, transcripts are available for every podcast in the last year. And my fingers are really tired from all that typing. So check it out at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. You have to know what you spend so you know what you need to support yourself forever. We weren't very serious the first decade of our career. It was just really this last five, six years that we got serious. When we started tracking our spending, I mean, it was eye-opening. We always saved a high percentage. We always lived basically off of one of our salaries and saved the other was was what our method was from day one. So we were saving about 50% after tax, but uh, we knew nothing about investing. We knew nothing about tax planning. So we were making massive mistakes actually for that first whole decade. That's Chris Mamula, who retired at the age of 41 and now blogs about his experiences at CanIRetireYet.com. How did he do it after making a decade of retirement planning mistakes. He'll tell us his secrets today on Your Money, Your Wealth. Plus, before he heads off to Foodalo Food, Big Al's got five things to consider before tapping your retirement accounts. And while Joe and Al almost never discuss annuities, today they'll explain why, and they'll cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of these popular guaranteed income products. But first, the fellows have a bone to pick with CNN Money about this confusing new business tax deduction. Here they are, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. What are we doing today? We got some... We, we got the guests. Personal finance stuff. Yeah. Taxes, mortgages. Yeah, it's all the above. I'm actually pretty excited. I have, uh, I, I feel like I'm more prepared for this show than for weeks, and it's because of Andy. Wow. I mean, she has printed out a number of great articles. So we got, we may have to go for a third hour today. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> it's not, not going to happen. No, I got to catch a flight. Yeah. I have to go to um, the homeland, Minnesota. Back to Minnesota. And a good time of year to visit oh, it's Minnesota. Awful. It's, it's 73 degrees here, and it's like negative two in Minnesota. <laughs> You're going to Minnesota just for a visit. I got some little family biz. Yeah, you do. I yeah. know. Your mom's getting a new home. Yes. So we have some... Uh, I have to sign my life away, I guess. Right. But uh, yeah, it'll be fun. I'm, just a short trip, just a couple yeah. of days. Yeah, right. Let's, let's kick this thing off here, Al. Um, a lot of questions in regards to the new tax reform. Um, the personal side, we've been through a million times. Right. And those are more or less small tweaks, and we can go through that if you'd like. But this article that uh, appeared in my inbox. <laughs> yeah, one that Andy found for us. So it, it says this, who can take the new business tax deduction? Even tax experts aren't sure. Well, uh, so so I will so I'll comment. This is CNN money. Yeah. So there's some there's some incorrect uh, facts in this article, so so called facts. But that first statement is true, and the reason why even tax professionals don't even know exactly who qualifies is because of the very vague definition of what's a service business versus not a service business. We're going to have to be wrestling with that for a while. So a couple of things. Um, there, there, there's a small list here, and I'll just hit a couple of them okay. because some of them are is right on, and 
and some of them are in left field. Yeah. But this is CNN money. You would think. Yeah, they'd kind you of know, check it out. Do, they'd do, have their do, tax. Do, do a little bit. Tax attorney at least look at the article before it goes out. So um, is my pass-through a domestic trade or business? Only pass-throughs that perform work in the United States and sell goods and services on U.S. soil can qualify for this deduction. Okay. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. All right. Number two. Is my taxable income low enough to automatically qualify me for the deduction? So when you look at tax planning for a small business owner, this year there's going to be multiple strategies that they would probably want to consider. If you're just a 1099 consultant, if you have a small business, if you have employees, non-employees, whatever. Because no matter what type of business that you're in, you will qualify for this 20% deduction, what the uh, the the yeah, one ninety nine A, one ninety nine capital A, one ninety nine capital A. Accountants <laughs> like to say one ninety nine cap A. Got it. So if you heard a, your accountant saying that, that's what they're referring to. This, it's, so it's a new twenty percent deduction on your business. So if your taxable income will be no more than one hundred fifty seven thousand. Um, if you're single, 315000 if married, you will qualify for the deduction. So that's on. That's that's correct. That's, right. that's true. There, with one caveat, <laughs> and that is there's a there's a secondary test, which if your taxable, if 20% of your taxable income is lower than 20% of your business income, you have to use that amount. The lower of the two. The lower of the two. So, but keep in mind, taxable income is more than your business income and includes all income sources, such as your spouse's earnings and your investment income. It makes it a lot harder to get under the threshold, right. is what uh, this tax expert says. Yeah, especially says. if you have more income than just your business. Now, some people, maybe that's all they have is their business, and then they get their standard deduction, and their, lo and behold, their taxable income is lower than their business but, income. But the key is, it's on taxable income. That's right. Line 43 on your tax return. Right. It's not necessarily the profits or things like that, because you could, let's say, set up a defined benefit plan and right. shelter a lot of your business income. That's right. And your business income could zero out. Yes. Right? And then if it's, my taxable income is under 157000 well, would I still qualify? How would that work? Well, see, that, that's a good question. And here's, here's something that's, at least to me, not entirely clear. Here's, what, here's how I think it works. So let's say your business income is $400,000. you are married, so you're above the three fifteen, And you do a $200,000 defined benefit plan, just to give you an example. So, and let's forget all other deductions. So let's pretend your taxable income is 200000 and your business income is 400000 So I think the business income part of that is, I, I'm thinking it may be before the The, the deduction of the be, pension? Because the pension is, is treated in a different spot on your tax return. And, and I could be wrong about this. Maybe some accounts are saying no. That's not right. It's it's not clear to me. So the twenty percent of four hundred. But if your taxable income is two hundred, it's twenty percent of two hundred. But if you have two hundred thousand dollars of other income, now your taxable income is four hundred thousand. Your business income is four hundred thousand. Do you get the twenty percent on the four hundred thousand, or do you get it on the two hundred thousand? Do you have to subtract your your pension? Right, and that's where this is going to get extremely complicated. <laughs> and then what what. Because when when Al and I talk tax strategies, it's not just one strategy, right? We multi-layer different strategies on top of each other to maximize the, tr the true benefit. Right. Um, but here's what field is my business in? Um, so this is where it gets a little fuzzy. Yeah. It says the law prohibits service business 
in certain industries from taking the deduction. These industries include health, law, accounting, actuarial service, athletics, consulting, financial and brokerage services, and the performing arts. That is not true. Well, not only is that not true, but it conflicts with the first statement you said. Exactly. So this article, is the, the headline is, who can take the new business tax deduction? Even tax experts aren't sure. I mean, it should say, even I'm not sure whoever yeah, wrote I'm, this the thing. Author, yeah, yours truly doesn't yeah, even know. I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about, but I'm going to put this article out on CNN Money. So here's what we do know for sure is if your income as taxable income as a single taxpayer is below 157,500 married 315,000 you qualify for this deduction no matter what business no matter no matter what business service or not it's only when your income is higher right. than those figures then that's when you start phasing out correct and and the phase out is fairly tight especially for a single taxpayer so it's by about the 50 grand 50 grand so by the time you get to I'll, I'll round it by the time you get to $207,000 of taxable income single taxpayer you can no longer take the deduction if you're a service business and for married it's from 315 to 415 so once you're above 415 then you can't take this deduction if you're in between then you just get a pro rata part of the deduction right and um, then when you're over that then the service businesses are no longer but manufacturing businesses and everything else right. they will still qualify that's absolutely correct and then there's some other crazy uh, qualifiers because not only is it the 20% of your business income or 20% of your or taxable income, then it's in the lower of, and then it's also the lower of this other thing, which is two things, the higher of. Right. And the, and the two So then things, there's all sorts of different tests, and you and look the, at three different angles. And, and, the, and the test is, is, the, the first test is 50% of your wages yes. in the business, not just you, the business wages. And the second test is 25% of your wages plus 2.5% of your equipment depreciable equipment right if it's fully depreciated you don't get it unless it's less than 10 years you get that for 10 years talk about complicated right it's like what we're well, tax simplification <laughs> right. at its best here tax simplification indeed for help on how the new tax law affects your business and you personally call us at 888-994-6257 that's 888-994-6257 are you eligible to take this new business tax deduction and how can you take advantage of all the new changes in this tax law we'll help you figure it all out and if you like we may even put you on the air to have your question answered live by joe and big al on your money your wealth so make it a good one Call 888-994-6257 with your money question. That's 888-994-6257. Big Al. Time for a great guest, someone who is retired and younger than either you or me. Barely. <laughs> for you. Yeah. I got to get I got to figure out this program. You, you better yeah, you better get on this. Right, we got Chris Mamula on the phone and um, retires at 41. Yeah couple months ago. Just a couple of months ago. I am excited to talk to Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So what the heck are you thinking retiring at 41? You just couldn't do it anymore and you wanted to experience new things? Or w- w- Tell us about your story. Yeah, sure. Um, I was a physical therapist was what my career was. And uh, I think, you know, you kind of get into that, like you're getting into the healthcare field and you think you're going to be helping people and, and it's really exciting. And um, just the um, just the bureaucracy of our healthcare system, and it just kind of wears you down. And and um, I think like in most careers, there's a lot of places you can progress to. 
And uh, as a physical therapist, I just found that it got very repetitious. And, and if you wanted to progress, you'd get into, like, the management side. And, and again, with the bureaucracy of healthcare, like, that was the last thing I wanted to do. And I just didn't really see a way out. So I just started planning of how could I retire early. I saw that as kind of my way out and my way to um, just have the free time and the uh, just the general freedom that I wanted. You know, as a physical therapist, what type of patients were you helping? Uh, I worked in outpatient orthopedics, so a lot of sports medicine, a lot of rotator cuffs, uh, knee replacements, things of that nature. You know, my ex-girlfriend was a physical therapist, and she, uh, yeah, she was crazy. So I can see why you got the hell out of there. <laughs> you said that on the radio in front of everybody? But she's not going to listen. She hates my guts. Don't worry about it. How many ex-girlfriends do you have? Oh, just four. <laughs> I think it's more than that. <laughs> but this week. <laughs> So, all right, you work in the grind. You're like, okay, this is something that I don't necessarily want to do. So I'm 43. You're 41. I couldn't imagine myself, you know, there's been days where I wanted to retire. Not necessarily retire, but maybe just take a couple days off. But you said, no, I'm done. How did you be able to, how how were you supporting yourself in, in being able to say, you know what, I'm financially independent at 41? Well, I would say there's kind of two different um, paths we can go down with that. So uh, on the first side, I would say that um, there's this whole financially independent retire early movement that I would I would consider myself part of. And and so kind of the thinking is you save a high, lo- a high amount of your income. And in the process of doing that, you do two things. One, you build up a lot of assets, which are then going to grow and compound and kick off income. And at the same time, because you're saving a lot, you're getting your expenses Low, and again, low is a relative term depending on how much you made. Um, and so, you know, you don't need a whole lot to support yourself. So that's the first way that I am, I would consider myself financially independent, that I, I think that I could make it forever, or I at least could make it 20, 30 years. I mean, we have a substantial amount of savings. Uh, but then I think the other side of that qu- equation is, and kind of what I'm trying to do through writing the blog and sharing my story, is I really think that we need to redefine the term retirement. Um, I don't really see me being in a position where I'm not going to earn any income for the rest of my life. And I think most people that can retire early uh, financially probably can't retire early because it's just not kind of in your genes. Like if, if you're not wired that way, if, if you're able to do the things that, that it takes to retire early, I guess, if that makes sense. So Chris, it sounds like you, kind of, you went from physical therapy to now being a blog writer. And, and so, so that's partially filling your time. And I assume you have a lot more time for leisure activities or whatever. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, we, we've been uh, we skied three times this week already, and uh, it's been a good week for snow here. So, yeah, we're big skiers, um, and that's kind of what originally drove me. Um, was I, I'm very into outdoor activities. I, I like rock climbing. I like skiing. We do mountaineering, and uh, we were kind of gradually on this early retirement idea. Um, but then we had a daughter five years ago, and that really cemented that you know my time is so valuable, and that's what really got me serious. And that's when I got into the the technical planning side of it, and I got serious about it. So tell me the process that you went through um, in regards to the planning and the preparation to be able to leave your career um, at such a young age. Um, Did you say, all right, well, this is how much that we need to live off of on a monthly basis, and then like re-engineered the math? Tell me a little bit about your financial planning process. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so that's where I, I would say we started it is, um, I, I think, and what I encourage everyone to do who wants to go down this path is you have to know what you spend so you know what you need to support yourself forever. Um, so, yeah, I think tracking is, is very important. 
Um, and that, that helps you to, first off, know, you know what you'll need long-term. But it also, and, and for the first, again, we, didn't, we weren't very serious the first decade of our career. It was just really this last five, six years that we got serious. And uh, when we started tracking our, our spending, I mean, it was eye-opening. Uh, we, we always saved a high percentage. We always lived basically off of one of our salaries and saved the other was, was what our, our method was from day one. So we were saving about 50% um, after tax. But uh, we knew nothing about investing. We knew nothing about tax planning. So we were making massive mistakes, actually, for that first whole decade. Uh, and then just other little stuff that, um, like, I, I don't really preach the whole uh, extreme frugality, um, but my wife talked a while about, you know, getting rid of cable as something that just wasn't necessary. And I always liked having cable. And, and she kind of talked me into it. And when you see the impact of, first off, how much it saves you, but then also how much time it frees up and it just kind of improves your life. And, and it kind of motivated me to make that change. If I didn't see how much it was costing, I probably wouldn't have done it. Uh, but it has a lot of impacts beyond the finance, financial side. I just kind of did it as an experiment when I saw how much it was costing. And, and it really improved my life dramatically. So, uh, yeah, I think tracking your expenses is just vital. So and when that, you go ahead, yeah, and, and Chris, the, so so the last five or six years, seven years, you got more serious. So how much are you saving at that point? Just so our listeners have a sense. Um, so so that first decade, uh, we were basically living off my wife's salary and saving mine uh, after taxes. But um, so once we kind of started switching our mindset, we started. We never uh, really used our four hundred one ks, at least not very much. We we went to get our match. Uh, and so we started maxing those out. So that's saving us like an extra eight, ten thousand dollars a year in taxes, and then um, just through cutting investment in fee- investment fees, uh, that was saving us when we started probably eight to ten thousand dollars a year. And then as our investments grew, I mean, that's if we would have been doing what we used to be doing, that's probably an extra twenty thousand dollars. So there's a lot of money that was just seeping out that we didn't even realize. Uh, I would say like the last two years, three years. Uh, we probably pushed 60-65% um, of our uh, savings rate. And in and, and that time frame also, that was after my daughter was born. So my wife cut back to part-time work. So that was without even having the two full-time incomes that we had before. Good for you. So uh, anyway, so you retired two months ago, December 1st. And um, what? how did you make that decision? Okay, now's the time. What- yeah, and I got another question. I mean, were you planning on – so at 30, you're like, you know what? This sucks. I'm done at 40. Uh, it, I mean, and so you were like, honey, you know what? No more. She's saying no more cable, and you're saying no more this and that. We're going to start saving like 50%, 60% of our income so I can get out of the grind at 40? Well, actually, no. Um, so so I think like part of the – like we did not do things um, uh, optimally, and we did not have this great plan to retire early. Um, my wife and I both came from pretty modest backgrounds, Um she had about fifteen or twenty thousand dollars of debt, which, in today's terms, doesn't sound like a whole heck of a lot. But um, I came from a family where, like, debt was just absolutely a no-no, and and I was able to get through school with pretty much no debt. And we were getting married, and and it just kind of freaked me out to go in with that. And so, and and she was also she was of that same mindset. She hated debt, and so we agreed that before I even started my job as a physical therapist, we were just going to live off her salary for that year until we got married because I was still in grad school. But I was also working part-time while I was in grad school, and I was just going to pay off her debt. And it was really just just not wanting to have the debt. And then we found that we were actually living pretty good, and so we just kept saving as a down payment on a house. And then once we got our house, and we just kind of kept doing that, and, and we really found that we were happy living off her salary. And we were both growing our incomes at the same time, too, so we weren't stuck at any certain level. And it wasn't really a purposeful saving a set amount of dollars and being as frugal as possible. It was just, you know, we were happy and content and 
And so that's what we did. You know, most people, once their income increases, then they spend up. It sounded, it sounds to me as you were comfortable with a certain lifestyle. Um, and then as certain expenses dropped off or as certain um, income went up, you continued to stay with your lifestyle and then saved the additional versus spending up, you know, buying a new car or, or upgrading to a better house or, you know, a, a new wardrobe. You were like, hey, this is, we feel really comfortable with this. Any additional income that we're receiving, you're disciplined enough to just to sock it away. Yeah. And, and probably one advantage we did have is because we started so early, I mean, we did we weren't like most people where we were spending every penny that comes in the door, but we did allow ourselves lifestyle creep a little bit, but we just, because we were starting on one income as it grew, and then we kind of grew our careers pretty parallel up until, again, when, when my wife had the baby and she stopped working full-time five years ago. Uh, so so we didn't really, you know, we weren't set, like we, we allowed ourselves to spend more. And, and again, we don't, I wouldn't consider us very frugal. I mean, we've done, we've traveled the world. We've done some pretty incredible things. We've been to the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, we're not like some ultra frugal, um, save every penny, watch every penny you spend. Like, uh, but we do, we do spend on things we value. So yeah, I've never, um, never really had a super nice car or like I've never been into fancy clothes, but by the same token, yeah, we ski regularly, we travel, we do that kind of stuff. Can you retire yet? Do you know how to get retirement ready despite the uncertainties we face with the roller coaster of the market, the rising costs of health care, the future of Social Security, and managing taxes in retirement? Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to download our free retirement readiness guide. This guide contains little-known secrets about creating income to last a lifetime and controlling your taxes. It'll help you understand your Social Security options and figure out how to adjust your retirement investing strategy. As retirement approaches, Learn seven plays to help you get there comfortably and securely. It won't cost you a thing to download the Retirement Readiness Guide from the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Hey, welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner, Big Al Clopeline. Thanks for tuning in. We're talking to Chris Mamula. So when did you start the blog, Can I Retire Yet? So you started the blog when, and, and what are some of the things our listeners can learn from your blog? So I actually started blogging because um, I, I was following conventional wisdom, and I wasn't finding that it was getting where I wanted to go. And I found these like weird bloggers who blogged anonymously, and and at first I didn't trust them. And then as I started doing my research, I found like this stuff's legit. And um, and I kind of did my homework and I checked academic resources and I met with a uh, with a um, not a CFP but a CPA who's a friend of ours, and everything kind of checked out. And I was like, this is awesome, but my story was kind of different because I had made a lot of mistakes and I wanted to share my story. So I started blogging about three years ago, but I had a different blog. It was called Eat the Financial Elephant. And uh, just on January 1st, I just started partnering with uh, Daryl Kirkpatrick, who has um, Can I Retire Yet? And he started about six years ago. He's also a fellow early retiree, and he retired at 50. And um, I just found I really related to his story more than some of the more extreme uh, blogs, and it was one that really helped me. And uh, we just ended up uh, having a mutual need where he needed some extra content and somebody to take on some of the things that he was burning out on with promoting the blog. And he's developing new calculators, and he recently wrote a book. And I needed that that uh, credibility that he brought and the traffic that he already has an established site. So it just kind of worked out really nice for both of us. What is it with these people that don't want to share their names blogging? 
Um, well, it, it's like, so I, I am public now. I mean, I, I, you guys know my name and Darrow is, but um, I think when you're working, there, there's a lot of factors that go behind it. Um, you know, if you're planning to retire, you don't necessarily want to tell your, your boss that four years in advance or five years in advance, because when you're starting, I mean, honestly, I thought that this was real, but I didn't know that it was really possible, and I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, so there's that part of it. Um, I think when you're in healthcare, there's this impression that you're making a ton of money, and like people don't like to pay their copays, and people get angry because because of our healthcare system. And the reality is, like our reimbursements were going down the last three or four years, and and it's a challenge. And I didn't really want to be having that conversation with everybody knowing what I'm doing and thinking that we're rolling in dough because people don't understand that. Um, we're not making a lot. We're just being very intentional with our how we spend, and I just didn't want to deal with the headaches of that aspect of it. There's the litigious aspect again when you're doing healthcare, and and you kind of can open yourself up to maybe lawsuits and stuff. And there's just a lot of reasons I think to stay anonymous. Um, I do think I like the fact that I could just come out and be open and say who I am. Uh, it was very stressful, and and I was glad to lose that uh, anonymity. But I, I also see why people do it. What what was your little pseudo name? Was it? I, uh, so my blog was called Eat the Financial Elephant, and so I was. Elephant eater. Elephant eater. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> nice. Hey, I still want to go back to December first. What What was your mindset? How did you, Why did you think? Okay, now's the time versus a year from now or a year ago. Um. So I think I mean you you get to a certain point where you know you have these assets built up, and I think you always question: Is this enough? And and I honestly don't know that you ever know the answer. I mean, I think. Um, so when I quit, I had my investments, um, not including my, my personal residence, was about 25 times my expenses, which is what traditional definition of financial independence. But um, I, I would say that what I would consider safe is when, you're, when you have a, a timeline like I do to not be spending down your principal. So I would almost probably like to have at least 33 times or even 50 times. Uh, and I know I didn't want to work that long. So for me, it was just we had enough that I knew I was very comfortable and we could be flexible and and I can kind of see if I can make some other things work. So I haven't even rolled out doing a little bit of part-time PT work. If I had to, like uh, maybe like a traveling assignment for two or three months a year, um, I hope I'm going to make some money off the blog, but there's no guarantee of that. Uh, I mean, I, I don't have any – I'm not going to this blog expecting to make, you know, six figures a year or anything like that. It's just kind of a side hobby thing. But um, kind of what I've realized is, you know, if you have enough that you can withdraw 4% and say I live off $50,000 a year – if I can just make a thousand or two thousand dollars a month, now I'm only withdrawing two or three percent, and you get into that really safe range. So, um, the the retirement plan, it's all kind of I guess how you define retirement and and having some flexibility built into your plans. And I just reached a point where I was comfortable financially and I was ready career wise. I needed a break, and that's why I made the decision for December first specifically. What what part of the country do you live in? Uh, so right now uh, we live in Western Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh. And uh, but I guess that was another part of the reason is I did have this new project. Um, I agreed with uh, with Darrow, my partner at Can I Retire Yet, that we were going to work together on this blog back in October. And I wanted to kind of get the ball rolling and get out and start doing things. And then we're going to be moving across country. We actually bought a house uh, in Utah. I said we're big skiers. We're going to be right on the backside of uh, Snow Basin Ski Resort, and uh, that's where we'll be living um, as of this summer. Congratulations. Yeah, it's a, it's a great story. Yeah, Chris, you got a great story there. Um, the blog, in, where, well, where all can people find you? Um, the easiest way is caniretireyet.com. That's our blog. Um, I did start a Twitter account with it. I'm not real big into the social media, um, but I we do have a Twitter account, so you can find me there. It's caniretire underscore yet. 
Um, and that's probably the two easiest ways to find me. Can I retire yet? There it is, Chris. Uh, man, that was awesome. Mamula. That's an interesting yeah. name. Like <laughs> I've heard it all. I've heard it many ways. You guys did good. Yeah. yeah. Well, our crack research team. Yeah, I'm she, hooked she, on phonics. She spelled so, it out. So, she, so even we could figure yeah. it out. So yeah, and Matt. I had a, and I had to practice it like yeah. uh, 14 times before we right. went on the air. Yeah, we're looking at this, ma'am. You. La. Yeah. And then we go a little faster. Mamula. Love yeah. it. That's Chris <laughs> Mamula, folks, right there. Uh, any parting words, my friend? Any other nuggets that you got for our listeners? Uh, the only thing I would say is, I mean, I think the reason that I am sharing my story and that I'm so motivated is to, to do so and to put myself out there is just that I think a lot of people don't think this is possible for them. And, and again, I think that I did not make a lot of mistakes. I mean, I did make a lot of mistakes. I did not have an optimal path. I didn't make a ton of money. I didn't come with a silver spoon in my mouth. But uh, I think that this is more possible than people think, and that's kind of the message I'm trying to share. And, and I hope people will look into it and uh, if they're interested and check us out. All right. That's awesome. That's Chris Mambula, CanIRetireYet.com. So you're dying to live life by the fire. That is the financial independence retire early movement. At yourmoneyyourwealth.com, you can learn from others who have already done it, like Chris Mamula, as well as Andrew Fiebert from the Listen Money Matters podcast, the dough roller Rob Berger, millennial millionaire Grant Sabatier, and many more, all previous guests of Your Money, Your Wealth. Hit the search bar and look for early retirement at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to get on your way to fire. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format. This week, five things to consider before tapping your retirement accounts. I think this is timely for a lot of people because... Baby boomers, we've been saying this for years. About 10,000 baby boomers are turning 65, what do we say, each and every day, right? Yes, sir. Yep. And For the next, now, what, 13 years 13 or so? 13 years, and, and we could probably say 10,000 baby boomers are turning 70, 70 yeah. every year for the next, whatever, 17, 18 years. Maybe it's 9,900. <laughs> Not all of them made it, but wow. most of us, hopefully. Anyway, so this is, uh, we're going to get into, it's a pretty good article on, on things to consider because I think a lot of people learn how to save money through their 401k or their 403b or IRAs, but it's like, now I got this money, because in the olden days, Joe, there were more pension plans, right? And so you just got a check, you retired, you got a check, and you didn't worry about it. Now, in, in many cases, even in most cases, the majority of your retirement income is coming from your IRAs and your 401ks for a lot of people. It so, sure is. And that, I think before, too, with the, people had shorter life expectancies. Sure. So you had Social Security, pension, a little bit shorter life expectancy. So you, they didn't necessarily have to take the potential risks of the stock market. Right. Right. They were more or less savers, not investors. Yeah. Um, and so it's a totally different ballgame. And right. I, I think now with information and education, people are very familiar with saving. I need to max out my 401k plan. Maybe I should put money into a Roth IRA. Um, I could just pick a target date fund in dollar cost average. And so there's a lot more information around accumulating. Right. But then when it comes time to taking withdrawals and distributions, it's a totally different set of rules. It's a totally different set of planning. It is. And so, Joe, the, the first thing to consider per this article is how your withdrawals will be taxed. And in, in a way, it seems kind of basic, but... A lot of people don't think about this. Most retirement accounts, regular 401k, 403b, 
TSP plan, IRA, you have to pay taxes when you pull the money out. It's all taxed as ordinary income, which is taxed as the same way as your paycheck. Right. Right? It's ordinary income. These are the highest of tax rates. There, I guess there's one benefit. You don't have to pay Social Security, Medicare taxes on it, but you you pay the highest of tax rates, whatever bracket you're in. So I would say most of our listeners want to replicate their paycheck in retirement. Sure, I agree with that. Right? Some of you will actually spend a little bit more in retirement. Some of you, will, of course, will spend a little bit less. Right. But the, the main goal, um, and you and I have been doing this for many, many years, and so when people come into our office and they say, yeah, you know, I want to maintain my same lifestyle, I'm spending X amount of dollars today, I want to continue to do that, maybe add uh, another 10000 for trips and vacations or spoil the grandkids. Right. But still, the, the assumption is that most people still think that they'll be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. But if they're trying to replicate their paycheck, in, if their paycheck is being replicated by monies coming out of a retirement account, the likelihood of them being in a lower tax bracket might not be... Yeah, we, we see that all the time. And, and of course, if you haven't saved much money, you're not going to be in a higher bracket. We're talking about True. people that have saved. Who are our listeners, correct? Yes. I'm making that that broad assumption. I think that's pretty good. But now here's the thing to consider, though, is if you have a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k, when you take money out of that, then there is no taxation, uh, presuming you follow a couple rules (laughs) of the five-year clock and a couple things like that. But it's it's tax-free. And if you have money outside of retirement accounts, like in your in your individual account or joint account or trust account, not part of a retirement account, well, you if you take money out of those accounts, first of all, savings account, there's no tax there. If you if you sell some stock or mutual fund index funds, you do pay tax, but only on the gain. You bought a mutual fund for ten thousand dollars, you sold it for eleven thousand. You pull 11000 out, you pay tax on $1,000. That's the gain part. And that's at a capital gains rate. So the reason I'm bringing all this up is because in retirement, you want to take a good look at what you have. You, do you have, you have money probably in 401ks, IRAs? Do you have money in Roth IRAs? Do you have money outside of retirement? And then you start devising a strategy on how much to take from each type of account depending upon your tax bracket. And another thing, Joe, just to take that even further, is many people when they retire, they just have money in a 401k and an IRA, and you may temporarily be in a lower tax bracket if you defer your Social Security. You're not yet 70 and a half. You don't have to take a required minimum distribution. So these are wonderful years to be doing rather large Roth conversions. Let me piggyback off that, too, because if we put into the new tax reform, last year the brackets were 10 percent, 15 percent, 25, 28, 33, 35, 39.6. Right. So let's just talk about maybe the, 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 the the three main brackets that most people fall into. So 10, 15, 25 brackets. Yeah, for 2017. For That was 2017. And so those brackets, as we would do financial planning with our clients, those were our go-to zones to look at, all right, well, what bracket are you in? Does it make sense to maximize those lower brackets to get money out of a retirement account to convert it to a Roth? If you look at those brackets this year, Right, the 10% is still 10%, but that 15 went down to 12. That's correct. Right? 25 went down to 22. That's right. So now, I mean, these conversions for a lot of you could be on sale. 
I mean, for a lack of a better terminology. Yeah, and even the the next bracket's twenty four percent, and so versus twenty eight. Right. So we there's actually a lot of room for people to do conversions that maybe didn't want to do them before. For example, if you're single and your income, your taxable income, line forty three, your taxable income is less than one hundred fifty seven thousand. The, your maximum tax bracket's 24%, which means some of your income is taxed at 10, some at 12, some at 22, some at 24. You probably, on your Roth conversions, most of you may, may not want to go past that amount because then you jump up into 32%. Right. In last year, at $157,000 of income of a single taxpayer, potentially we saw some people fall into Altman in that, yeah, in that which, range. Which was an equivalent rate of 35. 35%. Now it's 24. 24. That's... That's 11% lower tax. Right. And then you have to think, all right, well, how long do you think these lower brackets are going to be here? Right. We have a window. Take advantage of it. Yeah, this is pretty big. Now, if you're married, you just double these numbers. So the 24% bracket goes up to 315000 of taxable income. I can, in, in most cases for California taxpayers, we're from California, is this because of the high state taxes and state tax deductions that aren't allowable for Altman purposes? Usually, a married couple got subject to Altman around 200, 225,000 of income, sometimes lower. And so that means they were in an equivalent rate of 35%, which, if you're interested, send me an email and I'll <laughs> explain it to you. But most people could care less. It was just a high tax rate. And so, what we used to do is we used to do Roth conversions up to what we called the Altman crossover rate, which means at the point you hit Altman, any future dollars going into a Roth IRA taxed at 35%, which is no bueno, no good for, right. for, for most of you. It would have killed you. Right. But now there's so much room in these brackets now, now to potentially start leaking a lot of your retirement accounts and get it into a tax-free environment forever. If you're not looking at this, I mean, I, man, this is going to be a great window of opportunity. I, I think for a lot of folks, Joe, they based upon 2017 versus 2018, they could convert over $100,000 or more than they did the prior year and be in lower brackets still than were what was last year. Right. It's pretty amazing stuff. So the second thing to consider is the um, will your withdrawals cause you to be taxed by in your Social Security. And that's an important one because Social Security is, uh, in some cases, it's tax-free. It depends upon your income level. In some cases, 50% of it is taxed. Yeah, that's 32000 to 44000 if you're married. Right. And in some cases, 85% of it is taxed. And so just realize the higher your income, the more of your Social Security is going to be subject to tax. Now, you and I both know there are a lot more than just five things to take into consideration before you retire and start spending down your life savings. And honestly, getting all the tools and confidence you need to make informed retirement decisions, it requires a little more than listening to your money, your wealth. Southern California, we've got several opportunities for you to make sure you're doing it right. Learn from our team in person at our two-day financial planning courses or at our free monthly Lunch and Learn events. For dates, times, and locations in San Diego, Orange County, or Los Angeles, just visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257. Hey, and we're talking about distributions, I guess, from yeah, we uh, retirement accounts. It's Big Al's list. It's I, the five I, things to consider before tapping your retirement accounts. Right. We talked the last uh, segment about find out how your withdrawals will get taxed and will your withdrawals cause more of your Social Security to be taxed. So number three, Joe, is will your Medicare premiums go up? 
And uh, some of you may not know this, and particularly if you're not yet 65 and have signed up for Medicare, the more money you make, the higher your premiums are, right? So right now, if your modified adjusted gross income for a single taxpayer is less than $85,000 or $170,000 for uh, joint, your Medicare Part B premiums are $134 a month. But then... One dollar goes up, so if you're making eighty-five thousand dollars in one, then that jumps about to what one eighty-seven fifty. Then if you're at um, one hundred seventy to two fourteen, one hundred eighty-seven. But the point is, is that it starts at one hundred thirty-four dollars a month, and it could get as high as four hundred twenty-eight dollars a month for your Medicare uh, Part B premiums. Yeah, and that's if your modified adjusted gross income single is one hundred sixty thousand, married is three hundred twenty thousand, and there's a two-year look back. So for two thousand eighteen, they look at two thousand sixteen. So these figures we're talking about, you'd have to go back to your two thousand sixteen return to figure out how much you're going to be paying in Medicare premiums. And, and in most cases, Joe, the Medicare premiums just get deducted from your Social Security. So you don't actually pay them, but you also don't receive your full Social Security because they're withholding it. Right. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but um, a client of ours, hypothetically, was like, Joe, why are they keep on reducing my Social Security? <laughs> what are they doing? Right. And it's like, well, you, you're making too much money because he's still a uh, practicing dentist or physician. Right. And I was like, well, you got to stop working if you want to take your Social Security to grow because he's, he's, he's paying max Social Security benefit. Right, right. Or um, a Medicare, Medicare. Medicare yeah, exactly. And, and, and a lot of times people come to us uh, when we ask them, what, what are you getting in Social Security? And they'll say, I don't know, $1,500 a month. But then we have to ask this, the follow-up question. Well, is that what you're receiving or is that the gross amount? Well, that's what we receive. Well, you're going to be taxed on something higher because they're deducting the Medicare premiums. So that always has to be factored in because you pay taxes on the gross amount, not the net amount is, is how that works. The fourth thing is what are your required minimum distributions? I, I think there's a lot of confusion and mystery on this, but here's the basic rules. Is your 401k, your 403b, your IRA your SEP IRA, your simple IRA, you need to start taking required minimum distributions at age 70 and a half, whether you want to or not. And so it's a formula. And the formula for the first year is whatever your balance is, you divide it by 27. Or if it's easier for you to think about this, multiply it by approximately 4%. So if you have $100,000, that's a $4,000 required minimum distribution. If it's a million dollars, it's a $40,000 required minimum distribution. I mean, it's 37000 and change, but you get the idea. That's roughly how you, how you do this. But then there's all kinds of confusion, Joe, about, well, do I just take one RMD? And I got, I got, multiple accounts. Yeah, well, I got how do I... Multiple, I, got, I got four IRAs and, and six old 401ks. Do I just take one? Or do I have to take it monthly or quarterly or kind of do it once a year? Right. And it it is confusing because it it really depends on the classification of the account that you have. If you have multiple IRAs, then you can satisfy the required minimum distribution from one IRA. Yeah. So you have one IRA at Fidelity, you have one IRA at Merrill Lynch, you have one IRA at to TD Ameritrade, and another one at Schwab. Right. So then you could take the aggregate of all of those IRAs, add up the balance, and then you would take the divisor of how old you are to figure out your required distribution, and you could take that RMD from one account. Yeah, so I and so an IRA, an individual retirement account, would also include a SEP IRA, 
and a simple IRA. So those can all be grouped together, and you take a, sin- a single required minimum distribution. But if you have multiple 401k plans, so you have an employer-sponsored plan, and you've contributed to it, sure. and you are no longer working there, and let's say you have three different 401k plans. So you kept your old ones. Right. When, when you when you, you didn't left consolidate, the you liked the plan, whatever. Yeah, right. Then you would have to take three separate required minimum distributions from each of those plans. Three separate ones. So, so, so each plan needs to have their requirement taken out versus on the IRA side, you the requirement is satisfied with just one, but the, the number's the same. So you figure out your required distribution on like these four or five different IRAs, and let's just assume the, the RMD is 40 grand. Right. So you pull, because you have a million dollars total in four different retirement accounts, 250 in each. So instead of you know taking 4% out of each of them, you could say, all right, well, I'm gonna take $40,000 out of this account and that, that satisfies your required distribution. Let's say you had four 401k plans million dollars in the four 401k plans total, the required distribution total is $40,000. But you would have to take 4% out of each of those different retirement accounts to satisfy you. So you'd have to pull $10,000 out of each of the four retirement accounts to satisfy the RMD. And so the person that didn't know this rule and they took that $40,000 required minimum distribution out of their IRA along with the IRA required distribution, so they should have taken forty thousand out of their four hundred one k's. So when the IRS catches up with that, then they'll assess you a fifty percent penalty. So now you have a twenty thousand dollar penalty, and plus, oh by the way, you still need to take the forty thousand out and pay tax on it. Right. So, or another example would be: I have four four hundred one k plans. I take forty thousand dollars out of one four hundred one k plan. Right, so you, on your tax return, you'll see an, uh, a distribution, an IRA distribution of forty thousand dollars. You're like, okay, I pay tax on the forty thousand bucks, but you still have three other four hundred one k plans that still need to have the requirement taken out. So you still owe another ten thousand dollars on each of those plans to take out. So you already took the forty grand. You pay tax on the forty. Then the IRS comes back and says, hey, guess what? You, you didn't take these RMDs out of the other three 401ks. Those are required. And you didn't take it out. Now you have a 50% penalty. So now I have to take the $10,000 requirement plus 50% of that is five. So now I have to take 15 grand out of each of those retirement accounts and pay tax on them all. So now I have to pull another 45 grand out of the accounts to pay the tax. So my required distribution that should have been 40 grand is now $85,000 and it just blew you up. It happens all the time, Joe. And, And I will tell you this, the IRS will in many cases be lenient of the first year of the mistake. Go to your accountant, have your accountant write a letter to try to abate the penalties, but uh, it doesn't always work. The final consideration before tapping your retirement accounts is to make sure you aren't reducing your retirement balance too quickly. The last thing anyone wants is to run out of money in retirement. To keep that from happening, perhaps you're considering guaranteed retirement income from an annuity. Before you make that decision, visit purefinancial.com annuities to learn more from our own Jason and Thomas CFP. He's written a blog and recorded a video to help you understand the pros and the cons of annuities. 
Jason explains the different types of annuities, the tax perks, the guarantees, qualified longevity annuity contracts, as well as the costs associated and things to watch out for. That's purefinancial.com annuities. For more help in deciding if an annuity is right for you, pick up the phone and call us at 888-994-6257. That's 888-994-6257. And now let's hear Joe and Big Al's take on annuities. You know, Joe, when it comes to annuities, we, we typically don't talk a lot about them because as a fee-only advisor, a lot of annuities, not all, this is where it gets a little tricky, a lot of annuities are have very high internal costs, they have very high commissions to the, the advisor that sells them, and they're not necessarily in the best interest of of. of of you, or, you know, and and well, the- you got to break it down. First of all, what is an annuity? Annuity just means income, right? So then there's different variations of it. Right. You have a variable annuity, which yes. I think you were referring to, where Correct. it's like, all right, well, you can get into mutual fund type accounts. It will grow, and uh, there's a, a a guarantee of some sort. So if right. you die, there could be a guarantee of principal um, sure. to the heirs. Uh, if you want to put some um, other riders or bells and whistles on it, you could get it guaranteed income. Uh, so it grows at X amount, and you know then you're going to turn on the income stream and, and put it on for life. Uh, there's fixed annuities where you just want, all right, that's guaranteed by the insurance company. Right. And say, all right, well, they're going to guarantee me 2 or 3%. All of that money grows tax deferred. Yeah. When I pull the money out, it'll be taxed at ordinary income. Then there's- Or the growth will. Right, depending on if it yeah. was an after-tax contribution sure, or if sure. it was in your retirement account. You sure. bet, you bet. Or you could do an immediate annuity, which I think Al and I are more in favor of, mm-hmm. um, because this is just true insurance. You're giving a lump sum dollar figure uh, to an insurance company, and what you would get from that lump sum is a guaranteed income stream for the rest of your life. So it's kind of like you're buying a pension you're plan. You're buying a pension plan. Right. So I give you $100,000 in return of that, you're going to, I'll receive $3,000 for the rest of my life. Yeah, or Something whatever like the number that. is. Cause, and it's a little bit higher than that because you're getting principal back too over your, over your lifetime. And there is a train of thought, Joe, uh, that goes like this, is you take a look at your expenses, you subtract out your uh, fixed income, like Social Security and other pension plans, and if you're short twenty thousand dollars, ten thousand, thirty thousand, whatever the number is, maybe out of one one strategy is to buy an immediate annuity uh, to cover that shortfall, and then therefore, and it, it, it shouldn't be a hundred percent because once you put the money in, you can't get it back. Right, it's just it's an a, income stream. It's an income stream. It's just like if you think of um, like a company pension, you want to take the lump sum. Or would you rather take, you know, the annuity? Right. And so this is the same thing. You're just buying an income stream with a lump sum. Yeah, but there's a couple things you have to consider. I, I guess if, if you're if you're if you're considering that strategy is uh, the the annuities these these immediate annuities the fixed ones they generally have uh, they're not indexed for inflation. Right. So it is what it is. So. A thousand bucks a month now might feel a lot different. A thousand bucks in twenty years from now. Sure. Obviously, it's not with inflation. It's not going to buy as much. And the other thing that I think right now it's a little tricky is interest rates They're are so really low. low. Right. So if you're if you're buying a, an immediate fixed annuity right now, you're locked in for life. And so what some people do is they 
that maybe they'll 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 buy one now and yeah, then wait five em. years, ladder them, you know. So that's so that's a strategy. But uh, yeah, the I guess I guess why we don't talk about this strategy that much is that there are these variable annuities that you hear on this and other radio stations all the time, and and we we don't recommend them because of the high costs. But, well, that's not necessarily true because there's all sorts of different sizes and flavors, right? Because we have clients that do have variable annuities, but they're low-cost, no-fee variable annuities because of the tax consequence that would cause them. Right? They put it into a variable annuity, non-qualified account. Yeah. They put $100,000 into this thing 20 years ago. Now it's worth five hundred grand. Well, yeah. if you blow out of it, you're going to have ordinary income tax of $400,000. Right. So, so, so that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. So then you're looking at, all right, well, how do I rescue this thing to eliminate a lot of the unnecessary fees? So yeah, Vanguard exactly. or, so, you know, yeah. there's other companies that have very, very low cost of those yeah. types of products. Right. So you, you actually said it better than I did. I, I guess where I'm coming from is when you hear people just talking on the radio over and over again about how great they are, maybe not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, those are the high cost ones. There are, there are lower cost ones. And that's what we recommend if, if, you, if you want to consider an annuity strategy. Certainly costs are a big well, factor. Yeah. And I don't think that the purpose of the program is to recommend anything. I yeah. think it's just to have people understand, right. all right, well, if you want to have a guaranteed income stream, well, that's an option for you. Yeah. But the, the problem, I think, is what you're alluding to is that there's a lack of transparency potentially when it comes to the fees or cost or the motivations by certain individuals to sell something. Right. If there was a little bit more transparency to say, all right, well, here's exactly how it works. Here's your true internal rate of return on this product. Right. right? Because- the, the, all they hear is like the, the, the good things, guaranteed yeah. income. Oh, you, you know, you could get a roll up of seven percent. Yeah, seven percent sounds good in a guaranteed income. I can't lose. Yeah, that sounds really good. But when you run out the numbers, like you usually do, right? Your CPA, sure. and then you say, well, your real true internal rate of return on this, what you're really getting as a as a return, is somewhere closer to two percent. Right. And some people are fine with that to say, you know what, I don't care. I'm I'm buying insurance for my income. And and of course, it depends how long you live. And there's of course, there's, there's a thousand there's different a, variations. A lot of factors. Here's another flavor though that some people are considering, and that's that's qualified longevity annuity contracts or QLAC, QLAC for short. And this is where you can take a portion of your IRA. Uh, right now, in 2018, it's 130 thousand dollars, or but it cannot exceed 25% of your IRA balance, but you put it into this special kind of annuity. And the, the benefit here, Joe, is that you don't have to take a required minimum distribution on, on that contract, on that annuity contract. And in fact, you don't even have to take distributions. You have to take them by 85. So uh, how that works is this, is what I'm guessing, is that let's say I put $100,000 into the contract. Right. Right. So now it's sitting in a contract, but that contract doesn't really turn on until... I'm 80. Yeah, or until you decide to turn it on. Right, yeah. and then it's then it gives me um, significant income. Right, and so if you turn it on at 80, you get one level. If you turn on at 83, it's higher. 85, it's higher still. And it's just ensuring um, long, significant long longevity. Long life. And, and I, to me, I think the concept's fine. Again, I like the way you said it, Joe, better than me. It's the transparency There's of the contract. There's a lot contract. of things I say a lot better. No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Let's say... <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a softball. That was, yeah, I suppose. 
it does happen occasionally. Anyway, uh, <laughs> once but, a but, year. But the but the the transparency of the contract, uh, the fees that you're paying, what you're really getting, that's a really important component right. of this. Yeah, people are getting a little bit nervous. You know, it's a little frothy. Uh, let's maybe get in our. Um, profits and, and not worry about this anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something at least worth considering. And then, like I say, the downside is the fact that interest rates are really low right now. Right. I think there's more probably down than up. Yeah, that's it's part, and it's partly why we don't talk about it a lot. We're we're not huge fans of annuities, but I think in in their place uh, and the right kind of annuity, they can they can make a ton of sense. Are annuities right for you? Visit the blog at purefinancial.com slash annuities to consider all the pros and cons of annuities in more detail. And again, before you make that decision, call us, 888-994-6257, and we'll help you out. 888-994-6257. Next up, should you sign up for Social Security and Medicare at the same time? If you aren't sure about the ins and outs of Medicare, stay tuned. But first, foodaloo foo. What's your book on tape that you got going on right now? Uh, I'm listening to uh, Spanish Pimsleur Level 2. God, why did I ask? <laughs> so I'll just ask you a, a simple question. Um, let's see, what should I ask? When you? are you going to Chile? At Valentine's Day is when we leave. Oh. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. Yeah, so I'll ask you a simple question. Quiere uh, comer uh, conmigo? No idea. <laughs> I just asked, uh, would you like to eat with me? Oh, no, thank you. I'm full. <laughs> I knew you were going to say no. That's why, that's why I don't ask you these things. <laughs> so, all right. So, Chile, what's uh, what's the agenda? What are you going to do? Well, interestingly enough, I think we fly down to Santiago. Uh, my How, how uh, long is the flight? I don't know. Is it I, long? It's not as long as Africa. Probably half. It's, I don't know. It's... it's I, I think we go to Houston first, and then and then. Uh, oh yeah, Houston's really close to Chile. Yeah, it's right, right <laughs> next to it. <laughs> I think it's due south. I think that's how this works. I I don't know. You not, you didn't look at the ticket, or you had your wife do all the. Annie Annie did all that. Oh, I got it. I think I think by the time we leave San Diego to where we get to Santiago, it's probably about ten twelve hours. Yeah, something that's like what that. I was yeah, so uh, Anne's cousin Seaver, uh, who's in his early sixties, has been an adventure tour guy for 20 plus years in a place called Fudalafu in Chile. All right. And so I'm I'm not saying Chile, I'm saying Chile because I'm getting used to Spanish, right? Yeah, yes. So anyway, um, he does whitewater rafting trips, he does fishing trips, leads hiking trips, kayaking, horseback riding. So, so you're going to do all of that? I think so. You're going to go horseback riding, kayaking, so. whitewater rafting? Yeah, we're going to be there. Yeah, I think an activity probably every day. Uh, and it's it's in... Are you in shape for that? Oh, yeah. No, You've I'm, been running up and down your, your, your my stairs? stairs. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm solid. I'm good. Uh, but uh, so it's, it's, in, it's right smack dab in, in what's called Patagonia. And Patagonia is... It's from pictures. I've never been there. Is some of the most beautiful spots on earth. So I'm and Fudalafu is right in the middle of all the beauty. So anyway, so I'm very excited about that. Fudalafu. Fudalafu. Maybe you can give me a hat that says Fudalafu. I'll, I'll say it. I'll bring a hat that says I heart Fudalafu. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess um, you're gonna have to find a guest or something. Yeah, huh? we'll figure it out. Yeah. Something. Yeah. 
Augusta of. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's to, we have all these plans to bring it against. Uh, let's just do best of. Best of. Best of. Go play golf. Well, I know we're gonna. We're actually gonna tape a show in advance, so there's only one show that uh, you're gonna have to figure out. Yeah. And I'm sure I, I can handle it. Yeah. Well, that's exciting, Alan. Where are you? Are you staying in like a hut? Are you <laughs> staying in a hotel? What's the lodging look like? Yeah, I think we're going to stay in a cave. No. <laughs> no, there's a little uh, hotel in Fudalafu, so we're staying in that. Is this like rustic Chile, or is it like in the city? Rustic. Is it? This is like... It, this is it's an, like, like a safari in a, Chile? Adventure town. So this is not like Santiago. Uh, this, this is... Yeah, no, this is rustic. I think... I think there's a two maybe one running water one yeah and I think there's even Wi-Fi so I think it I think maybe not you may not hear from me for <laughs> two weeks <laughs> but I think yeah running water I think they have a restaurant or two there's a little grocery store oh okay so we can maybe have some cervezas they have cervezas what is uh, a Chilean beer uh, uh, no idea I, well, you got to do some out. research I, I will do some research I'll bring you back some got it. Cervezas, uh, dos cervezas, por favor, por favor, is about all you need to learn down there. No, there you go. That's what. That's all I know. Dos cervezas uh, frias, cold. No, yes, oh, very good. Yeah. Oh, look at you. Oh, Spanish one hundred and one, <laughs> eighth grade. Que te tiempo hace? Where is the biblioteca? <laughs> yeah, I got a D. <laughs> I didn't do so well in junior high either, but now I'm now I'm getting I'm learning a couple things. Ah, uh, all right. Well, any parting thoughts here um, as we're kind of burning out the clock? Yeah, I guess we only have a, a few more minutes. Um, I don't know. Do you think uh, I got this one article? Should I sign up for Social Security and Medicare at the same time? What do you think, Joe? Is that is that should you or shouldn't you or doesn't matter? What are the what are your thoughts there? Well, it depends. You need to sign up for Medicare about three months prior to your sixty fifth birthday. Yeah. And if you sign up for Social Security prior to your 65th birthday, you're automatically enrolled in Medicare. Yeah. So, so right. what are you asking me? This is a so, stupid question. No, it's, it's a great question because nobody knows what you just said. So, and I'll repeat that because it's important. If you, oh, I thought you were quizzing me. Well, if you if you've signed, I'm where well, we are doing a radio show. <laughs> for I forgot. Our, it's for our listeners. It's not, I think, not just you and me. Assuming we have listeners, right? Uh, but anyway. If you've already signed up for Social Security before age 65, you will automatically be enrolled in Medicare. That's So that's an important thing to know right off the bat. Right. Okay. But then people get confused. Well, I don't want it because I'm still working. Right. Well, don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> you can, if you already have a qualified health care plan. Right. Um, it depends on the provider, but that will still probably be your primary. Medicare would be your secondary. In some cases, it's vice versa. Right. And, and uh, But then you don't necessarily have to pay the Medicare Part B premiums right. until you get off your employer plan. That's right. And, and so, so to, to kind of repeat and add to what you said is if you're still working at age 65 and your company has a health plan that covers more 20 or more people, then you don't have to sign up for Medicare, and the thing is, um, you may not you probably you may not want to because Medicare Part B is cost you money, right? The Part A part doesn't cost you anything. That's hospitalization. Well, so. it costs you a lot, actually. It costs you one point 
four or five percent for your entire working career. <laughs> but it doesn't cost you. It's any, free. It doesn't cost you. Know, <laughs> it doesn't cost you any more to sign up for it than not sign up for so it. So I took a bunch of people a few years ago to Minnesota in the summer for my fortieth birthday party. Yeah. Right. And so we all got off the plane. I rented a bus. Right. right? And we went up to these cabins up at Gull Lake. Mm-hmm. And then so we played golf. We had pontoons. And uh, I rented two pontoons. I think I rented six cabins. And then the bus was full of soft drinks, adult beverages, whatever you want, snacks. Sure. You get to the cabin. Cabins are full with beer, snacks, whatever. Play golf, right? We have shuttles to play golf. Get back. Pontoons are in the water, full of beer, snacks, waters, whatever. Right? And and all my buddies, everything's free. (laughs) It's great. Mikey Martin, the whole time. This is, oh, everything's free. We're gonna move to Minnesota. I'm like this. This stuff ain't free. <laughs> I get your point. However, my point is whether you sign up or not, there's no change in what you pay. Yeah, okay. part A. Right? All right. But here, here's another thing: is if you're not working and you have not, um, you haven't signed up for Social Security, you better sign up for Medicare either three months before. 65, your 65th birthday, or your 65th birthday month, or three months after your 65th birthday month, or you may be penalized when you finally do sign up for the rest of your life. Uh, that's it for us today. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. For Big Al Quilpine, I'm Joe Anderson. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. We'll see you next week. You can learn just about everything you need to know about Medicare in exhaustive detail at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. We've got a brand new blog post breaking down Medicaid versus Medicare. We've got a three-part Understanding Medicare video series. You can learn how to bridge the gap to Medicare and find out Medicare mistakes to avoid. It's all at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, so check it out. Special thanks to our guest, Chris Mamula. To follow Chris's adventures in early retirement, visit his blog at caniretireyet.com. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, if you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer live on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth, presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.